of Mount Calvary to pay the penalty for our sins literally has in it those pieces of all of those other mountaintop experiences. Let me give you an example. The first one that we looked at was Abraham offering his son to God. He made his son carry the wood of the sacrifice, the burnt offering. And, and do you remember, it's not just a picture of, of a father willing to offer his son, but if you remember, there was a substitute. Isaac says, where is the lamb? God provided a ram. You may remember in Moses' offer, in Moses' moment on the mountain, his first one, when he went up and there was the, the bush consumed with fire. We see here this morning, in Calvary, we see God's will accepted so that prisoners could go free. This morning we see the atoning work of God for the sins of the people much like we did in the third message, where Moses went up to the mount after the people had worshipped the golden calf, and he said, maybe I can make atonement for you. Maybe God will forgive you for this. So Moses went to the mountaintop to seek that atonement. The next one we looked at was the reality of the consequences. Do you remember Moses had, had struck the rock rather than speaking to it, and God said, you're not going to enter into the promised land. We followed Moses up that somber journey to the top of Mount Pisgah where he then was able to view and see the promised land while knowing he would never get to enter in. We were reminded of the consequences of sin. And last week, or the week before last, our next to last mountain men, we saw Elijah. In the middle of all of the idolatry that was going on and the corruption of God's people, their half-heartedness towards God, their split devotion between he and many other gods, Elijah came and called the people to the top of Mount Carmel. And there the two gods went head to head in which God won because he is the only one true God. We saw in Elijah, we saw in that story on Mount Carmel that God is true and real. And that there were also consequences for those decisions as well. This morning in Luke 23, we, I want to just re read starting in verse 26. Jesus has already been tried. He's passed through these many trials, many of them by night. Never found to have a blemish on him, but still condemned. He has now heard that he is going to be crucified. And it says in verse 26, Now as they led him away, they laid hold on a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after him. And a great multitude of people followed him, and the women also mourned and lamented. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will they do to the dry? There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lot. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. 
The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, saying, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's stop there. Love that story. This story is not just a, a historical truth. This isn't just Luke's investigation of what happened in the life of Christ, researching, interviewing people, bringing this information together to form the Gospel of Luke under inspiration of the Spirit. But this is something I believe even more than a historical account of those last moments of Jesus' life. You see, I believe that what we get to witness in this story of Christ going to the cross, being crucified, and even more than that, those two criminals who were, stand, who were hung beside him, one on the left, one on the right, both of them were condemned for their crimes. So here we have the dying Lamb of God in the middle, and on the left we have a criminal, and on the right we have a criminal. Two similar men in similar situations with two very different outcomes. And what is incredible is that this, again, is not just a historical account of what happened to Jesus in those last moments of life, but I believe that it is a microcosm of what we see played out every day in the world. What we see is how two different people respond to the message of redemption, how they treat Jesus, how they view Jesus differently in the same situation the same experience and yet these two people viewed jesus differently now think about this with me for a moment did you know do you know how many people it's estimated how many people die a day in the in in the world how many people die a day in the world it's estimated to be just over a hundred and fifty thousand people die every day is that, is that remarkable to anybody? I mean, that number seemed kind of high to me. I, I don't know, because I just look at the Joplin Globe and see the, the obituary there. But that's a, that's a pretty big number. Those aren't just 150 people dying. Those are 150 people that are going on to their eternal destiny. This is played out every day, every moment. I want you to see something. Look, look back with me there and, and really focus on the fact that these were two criminals. Now, you may, you may look at this and say, okay, wonder what these guys did. Well, we don't know. We don't know for sure what they did. But what I can tell you is this, is that crucif not everybody was crucified. Not every criminal um, ultimately received this punishment of crucifixion. This was reserved for the worst of the worst. And you say, well, if that's the case, then how did Jesus get here? Well, I think that speaks partly to the providence of God. Secondly, it speaks to the blindedness and the, and the hard-heartedness of the people in whom sent him there to the cross. All Caiaphas, Annas, uh, ultimately Pontius Pilate, and then, of course, the religious leaders. But think about these two guys. We don't know what they did, but we know that a, an evil...
people, the Romans, who had really no real moral compass at this moment, had looked down at these people and said, you are worthy of death. So when evil people are willing to look at you and say, that's so bad that we're going to kill you, we have to imagine that what they did was pretty severe. Could have been murder. Could have been sedition. I don't know. But I know that there were two criminals who had both been condemned, who both admit, or who admit, one of them had admitted he had done what was said about him. And these men find themselves by providence, awesome hand, at a first row place, in the greatest mountaintop experience in the history of the world. They find themselves by God's divine providence to have a front row seat to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And these two men handle it very differently. Let me show you something interesting about this story. Is that not only are these men both in the same place criminally, but if you think about it, they also represent where we begin spiritually. There is a criminal slash spiritual element to this. Is that some begin to think that we may be born and, and we may live our life close to God, near to God, friends with God, until we do something bad enough to end that friendship. Until we mess up to the level where God says, all right, you can't be around me, you can't be near me, and that God sends us away until we do something good enough to be brought back into his presence or to be brought back into a relationship. There are many that believe that. That we're already walking with God until we mess it up. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's backwards. The Bible teaches us that we are not near God. That we're actually enemies of God. Now, that's how the Bible describes us as enemies of God. We, are, we start out away from God until not we do enough good works to get brought into his presence. But rather until we trust, believe unto salvation until we get to that point where we say god I, I have messed up i am a sinner i am an enemy of you and and i bear on my life if it doesn't change your judgment and today i know that you sent your son to die for me and today i believe in that sacrifice until we come to the place of believing that jesus died for us and receiving him personally we are going to perish without him the Bible says the, 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 Bible, the word that the Bible uses most often for redemption means this, to buy back. To buy back. God created us, He formed us, and He wants us. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is that redemption was needed. These men were criminals. We, without Christ, are spiritual criminals. We're separated from Him. We're enemies of Him. That, that sin has separated us. And moved us away from him. I love what Ephesians 1 7 says. In him. In Christ. We have redemption. Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. In him. Paul says. We have redemption. The only way we can be bought back. The only way we can be purchased. The only way we can be redeemed. Is through Jesus Christ. Well, Many of us know. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know what the Bible teaches us, that there is none righteous, no, not one. But the Bible begins to say in verse 24 that we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus by His grace. Redemption only comes from Jesus. Each one of these men, both of these men, were in desperate need of redemption. I want you to notice the second thing. Redemption is found. Two men needed saving. 
not just criminally, but more than importantly, spiritually. And the good news is that redemption was found. One, one man found it. He's the man who said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Now, I want you to think about some things in regards to this first criminal that I find really remarkable. First is, who was he? He was a dying criminal. He comes to the end of his life, comes to the end of his days, and just happens to find that he is being crucified. He is being executed next to the man who claims to be the king of the Jews. Now, we don't know how much he had heard about Jesus other than this. But we know something about him. He gets to that, that horrible moment, the lowest part of his life, and there's Jesus. Aren't you glad to know that that's still how God works today? Even in the midst of our, of our lowest points of life, even in the midst of our greatest mess-ups, even in the midst of the lowest valleys that we could possibly go through, aren't you glad to know that oftentimes that's right where God meets us? I know many people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ at the very lowest moment of their life. He was condemned for his crimes, and he was about to give his life for such. We also realize that this man was humble. Who was he? Criminal, dying, lowest point of his life. But you know what? He was humble. As that one criminal turned to Jesus and said, if you're Christ, save us, yourself and us. But this man turns and rebukes him. He says, wait a second, wait a second. You got it wrong. We're here because what we did was wrong, and we're, we, 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 we received this. I know my crimes are awful. I know what I did is worthy of death, and I'm paying for those right now. And then he turns to Jesus and says, this man has done nothing wrong. He recognized not just that Jesus was holy, he recognized not just that Jesus was king, but he recognized that he had sin. How, how did all this happen? Do you find it weird that those who should have known who Christ was didn't? That those who had the most amount of light in which to be able to make a proper decision, a well-informed decision on Christ, they're down at the base of the cross saying, let God save him? They're the ones that put him up there in the first place. And they're saying, if you are the Christ, come on down. The ones that should have known, that could have known, that had a wealth of information more than all of the other people around him at that time, they were the ones who were blinded, many of them, and ignorant of what was really happening. And yet you have this criminal. You have this dying criminal in the lowest part of his life, and literally all he has to go off of is a sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. Seven words. Seven words. All of those other people had scriptures that they could quote and they knew exactly where they were. They knew the prophecies that would be fulfilled. And this poor criminal, this humble man who recognized his sin, who was contrite and sought repentance over those and knew that Jesus was king, simply looks at this sign and says, well, I choose to believe what the sign says about him. Christians. You may think you have to know everything in the world to be used by God. But let me remind you, that sign was put up by Pontius Pilate, who, who didn't believe necessarily that Jesus was who he said he was. 
That was the accusation against Christ. This is the king of the Jews. Seven words that this man used that was used in an amazing way to bring this man to a saving faith. Providence provided him a front row seat and he would not be denied. Isn't it funny that hanging there, no doubt he heard the cries of the religious leaders. If you're, if you're the Christ, save yourself. He hears his comrade over here on the other side saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. He had no example at this time of saving faith. And a little sign with seven words, which is the accusation put above Jesus' head. This is the king of the Jews. And the remarkable thing about it, the truly remarkable thing about this man's saving faith is obviously he was not able to perform any good works in order to be justified with God. There was nothing. He was literally pinned to his crimes. He could not do a good thing in order to undo what he had done, nor can we. But notice this. He turns to Jesus. Crown of thorns, beaten, stripped, writhing in anguish and pain. And yet he is able to look at that, see that sign, and believe that he is indeed the king in his most unkingly moment you can imagine. There was no golden crown. There was no marker of royalty. There was no scepter in his hand. There were not people who were cheering him, but people who were mocking him. They were not bringing fine food and drink to him. No, they were bringing wine mingled with myrrh. They were mocking him in everything that they were doing. And yet this one thief looks and says, you know, you, you may not look like a king. You, you may not appear anything like a king, but I believe what that sign says. And more than that, if you are a king, you have a kingdom. And he knew that his kingdom at this time was not on this world. Lord, another reference to royalty, another reference to the divinity of Jesus Christ. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you today, assuredly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. There have been some who said that the comma has been placed in the wrong spot, that no one goes to heaven until a certain day. We'll talk about this more in the weeks to come. For those that believe that the comma is in the wrong place, let me just point something out. Do you think Jesus really needed to say, assuredly, I tell you today? Not to be confused with tomorrow for them hanging on the cross. Not to be confused for a couple days later. Do you think he's really trying to draw a point to say, I'm telling you this today? No, Jesus said, assuredly, I tell you today. 
you will be with me in paradise. What Jesus was saying was, you have recognized your sin. You understand that I am who indeed I am. You recognize me as Lord and you're asking me to save you right now. And I promise you, he says to that thief, you will be with me in paradise. You know, sometimes we think, we may think, that God saves us just to get something from us. You know, what's God really want from my life? Does he want my money? You know, does he want my my possessions? You know what we find in here? Jesus so willing to buy, purchase this criminal at the end of his life who had nothing to offer. It reminds me that Jesus just wants me. Me. That's what he wants. It's not about he's paying for me so I can get give something to him or add something to him. No. He's buying me. He saved me. Because he loves me and wants me notice the third thing this man lived up to what little amount of light he had and the third thing is that there was sadly redemption that was forfeited if you forfeit a game that means the game was planned everything was there to do it you just didn't show up really the same case with this guy everything was there the field was marked the crowd was there the refs were on the field and yet this guy just never showed up he forfeited it two reasons why he forfeited it one is he doubted he didn't demonstrate faith like the other criminal did he said if you are the son of god He was literally sounding just like all the other people that were down at the base of the cross. He was sounding like the religious leaders. He was sounding like the people who were mocking. He was saying the same words. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. He didn't believe. Now, he's thinking, he's suggesting that if Christ were to let him free or let him go, then he might believe. The Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What Jesus is telling us, what Jesus has shown us through the Scriptures, is that if we are to be saved, it is by us placing our faith and trust in Him, having not seen, having not touched, having not felt. That's faith. And this man couldn't get past the faith element. The other one was able to see something that we, can't, we would struggle to see probably. And yet this man was not able to see what was so clearly in front of him. It's ironic that this man says, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Notice the second thing we get out of this guy is that he was really concerned about himself. In contrast to the other thief, this guy seems like a real punk. You know, if you're going to, you know, if you really are God, Don't just hop down yourself. Get us out of here too. You know, folks, I find a lot of people that are like that, and you probably know them as well. You know, the only interest they seem to have in God is how God might get them out of something. Have you ever noticed that? The only real interest some have in God is how is God going to get me out of there? They live all their lives making decisions on their own, not basing them off of the truth of of God's word, not ever consulting or seeking God's direction. And then when things fall apart, they get angry at God and wonder when he's going to get them out of it. 
You remember me saying God is not required to subsidize our life apart from Him? Oh, guys, i gotta, I got to rant for one minute. There is this thing going around on Facebook that drives me nuts. If you, if you share this, God will do you a favor in the next five minutes. If you share this, do you think God is really looking, saying, oh, come on, share, I want to do something for you. If you don't share, I'm not going to do anything. Friends, I have never forwarded that. And I'll tell you what, I am a very blessed man. Not because of anything he may do, but because of what he already did. The favor was 2,000 years ago. He did me a favor back then. There are those who believe God is only good if he works on my behalf. God is not interested in working on your behalf simply for your good. He wants to glorify his name through redemption in your life. One thief said, man, I see what nobody else is able to see and I'm running for it. The other thief right there in front of him, seeing the witness even, seeing what has transpired with his cellmate, still, I'm only going to follow you if it's going to be good for me. Doubt and self-centeredness kept that man out of paradise. Friends, I told you before, today, at the end of this day, one over 150,000 people will have entered into their eternal destiny. Never to be able to make a decision after that. Never be able to leave that decision to which they have chosen in this life. This is not just a historical story. This is not just a beautiful biblical illustration of the love of God. It is indeed a microcosm of two lives that are not so different from what we see every day. And I ask you, which one of these? It could not be clearer. Which one of these represents you? Are you the thief that says, yes, I am at the lowest part of my life. Yes, I am thankful, God, that you love me regardless of what I've done, how many times I've done it, who I've done it to. You, are, you love me, God, regardless of my spots and blemishes and failures and sin, and you are willing to set, to to. to to save me through what your son did on the cross of Calvary. I want to ask you, would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? That's an awesome thing to consider. That God loves you despite what you've done or how many times you've done it. And friend, I want to ask you a question. Do you know right now you cannot earn God's love? Do you know you cannot do enough good works to undo that? That's why Christ came to pay the penalty that we couldn't. And today in your heart, right now where you are, do you know that for whatever reason you have rejected the call to come to receive Christ as your Savior? And you know in your heart, you know in your heart that you're not saved. You know that you are not ready to enter into eternity. And today you want that to change. Would you be willing to raise your hand if today is the day of salvation for you? If you've never done that, and today is the day you want to talk to somebody about that, raise your hand, please. Thank you.
today, Christians, as you're thinking, I want you to think about those who are lost around you. Would you remember this morning those seven words on that sign? This is the King of the Jews. Gives us encouragement to go out and to share what we can. Share with those around us the love of Jesus and the redemption made possible on Calvary's Hill. And today, would you recommit yourself to being more diligent in sharing Jesus with others through word and witness? Father, I thank you for your love. I know that, Lord, the cross still changes things. I know that Jesus still changes things. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we will leave here not the same. Father, I pray that we would do the business that we need to do. If we are carrying around sin and living with sin in our lives, that we may see that awful cost that it cost you. And that we would this morning say, God, I repent of that sin. I know it's wrong. I want you to restore me. Father, I want you to forgive me of that and to give me the courage to overcome that sin in my life. Father, for those that are lost but may not have even raised their hand, I pray they wouldn't leave this place this morning without talking with someone about their eternal soul. That they would know that heaven is for real and heaven awaits those who respond in faith. Lord, we love you and we thank you and pray for the decisions that are made this morning. Be they salvation, baptism, rededication, church membership, whatever it is you've placed on the hearts of your people, may you receive glory and honor. In Jesus' name.